Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today, we're talking about classes and art in the upcoming 5th edition D&D products. Let's meet our panel. With me today at the roundtable are Andrew Kane. Hey, hey. Ray Fallon. Ray, hey, yes. And Topher Cohen. Hola, que pasa? All right, guys, today's get-to-know-you question. What race, not in the player's handbook, would you like to see released for 5th edition? And Topher, we'll start with you. Warforged. Aha, I agree. That's mine. That's mine as some, well. Give me some good old-school Warforged, walking suits of armor. I'm all about that. <laughs> I agree completely. And we already had them in the playtest packets. Come on, wizards. You know you want to give us some Warforged. I... That was my favorite character to playtest, I have to admit. <laughs> well then, why don't we bring it this question to a guy who is playtesting a Warforged currently in my current D&D Next Playtest Packet game, Ray Fallon. That's right. Dude, I love the Warforged. Uh, having a ton of fun playing him. But for me, the, the race that's noticeably absent is the Bullywog. <laughs> I'll be ready to play 5th edition when they get that Bullywog out there. <laughs> And not a moment before. <laughs> I have a feeling you may be waiting a, a very long time. <laughs> uh, Andrew Kane, which race not in the player's handbook would you like to see released for 5th edition? Uh, since the Warforged has already been said, and they're pretty sweet, another uh, race that I'm very fond of and recently played a character from start to finish with is the Deva. Uh, love the immortal uh, rebirth timeline. Uh, I think they're a cool thing to do play with story-wise. So that's something I'd like to see. I agree. I love the Deva as well. And if you'd like to see my take on the Deva for 5th edition, you can go to worldbuilderblog.me and check out my article, What a Deva, so cleverly <laughs> named, and uh, get some temporary statistics to plug into your game if you have a player who wants to play a Deva. But let's get moving, guys. This week, the internets were a flood with previews <laughs> from the player's handbook. I mean, everybody was on board. Boing Boing, The Escapist, D20 Monkey, uh, N-World, and it was just going crazy. And I am glad we get to talk about all kinds of stuff. The Warlock, the Sorcerer, the Bard, the Paladin, all the first two pages and their little progression tables were released, which was pretty cool to read about. I also want to talk about the art that we saw in these, and then we're going to wrap it up with a Mike Merle's article. But let's start with the art. What did you guys think overall? Our first look came out when Boing Boing published an article on the 21st of July. Um, they actually printed a lot of pieces of art in addition to the Warlock article. And I'm wondering, what do you guys think overall of the art? Not just in this article, but in the art that we've seen in all of these previews are you guys digging it do you wish they had gone and did in a different direction you tell me and andrew kane let's start with you 
All right, so I got to say full disclosure on this particular podcast, uh, I'm usually a very positive person about these types of things. <laughs> James, you know me. When I go see a movie, I'm usually like, hey, that was a good movie, um, even if it wasn't particularly good. Um, so I'm going to say that I always get excited about this stuff uh, as I see it, so I'm probably going to be overly positive tonight, but I don't <laughs> care because I think the art looks great. Um I think there's some cool visualizations. I think it evokes some of the classic, you know, D&D imagery that comes to mind. Um, I particularly have enjoyed seeing how they're depicting spell casting um, in a little more detail. I think that's one of the harder things when it comes to theater of the mind to really visualize sometimes. And so I like seeing how they're doing it in certain ways because it can give one some good ideas when talking about what's happening uh, in your game. Uh, so I'm, I think it looks great. Excellent. I could not agree with you more, particularly on the spell point. I love that they are giving us some visualizations here for things like Cloud Kill. You know, it's it's nice to see like, oh, cool, that's how that spell works in an artist's rendition. Ray Fallon, what are your thoughts on the art? Uh, I certainly agree with what you're saying about seeing spells. And the ones that they have depicted here are very cool, which is obviously why they leaked those first, I'm sure. Uh, my only concern is I don't want to see too many spells uh, drawn out because I kind of prefer imagining what they would look like, even if I know it's not exactly what you know they had in mind when they were giving the flavor text. I like kind of having that as a jumping off point and then adding my own visuals to it. Uh, you know, especially since you, James, as a DM are very willing to go along with anything that you know fits a story and seems cool uh so you know what they have is great uh i just don't want them to go too heavy with it i guess or too in depth i don't know hey i agree guys i think that (laughs) it's it's cool to have the description and everything but i also agree with you ray you know i think if a player wants to describe that no their cloud kill is red and rises from the ground rather than lowers down from the ceiling i think that all of that's fine you know mechanically it still works the same but Mm -hmm. i do think that if a player wants to get a little wild with a description that you should let it happen that's a pro tip (laughs) and there's certainly nothing in the picture (laughs) that's you know that's going to say oh no like you can't have it be different because it's depicted this way uh so yeah it's not i i shouldn't be so uh upset if they do (laughs) if they drew a picture of every single spell it would not be a bad thing how do you uh, feel about the art uh, otherwise? Uh, actually, I was going to say the thing that excites me most, uh, this might be silly, is seeing the art on the actual page with a little bit of you know background coloring that they have, that they usually have in books. You know, it looks like every other player's handbook that I remember, which is the last uh, two or three, I think. Um, you know, just seeing it on the page, the way it's set up, makes me excited to to finally crack it open and read it for myself. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It it makes it feel very real uh, mm-hmm. seeing this art. It's it's very cool. It's coming. Yes. Topher, thoughts on the art? Uh, you know what? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think it's great. <laughs> um, I like the fact that we have obviously different artists doing different things, and each artist is showing what I assume is their style. I don't know these artists very well, so but I assume it's their style, but it's all the same thematic look. Like You can tell they're all from the same book. Uh, I, I like that a lot. I, I agree with Ray, the whole having you know the background stuff. I'm looking right now at the bard image. And let's start with the fact they made a bard look badass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that, that, that guitar, uh, you know, like he's holding up there, that lute, 
that's like I want to play that. That's a rock and roll instrument. <laughs> uh, that and, lute is for smashing only. What are you talking about? Exactly. Like that guy. I want to play a bard now. I've never <laughs> wanted to play a bard. I this picture makes me want to play a bard, and that's what I think they've done. They've they've incorporated that whole thing on the D twenty monkey with the bard and the picture of the bard and the, and the fair. That's just such great flavor imaging, and giving you know new DMs or new players. The ability to look at these pictures and go, hey, this is the world you're going to inhabit. And here's some, some, you know, quote unquote images of it for you to kind of gleam from. I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's great. I think what we've seen, they've done a really good job of, of giving us uh, a taste and a flavor, but not going overboard. I thought what Topher said was really great. And it just made me harken back to something we've talked about before, which was in whatever third edition where Hennet, the sorcerer's depiction, was all the belts. And I compared that, you know, in the Yunstones around his head or whatever. And I compare that to the image of the sorcerer with fly- fire swirling around him, glowing eyes, cool imagery in the background. I think it's a nice step forward when it comes to, I think that's a cooler way of evoking perhaps chaotic nature than the changeable world of belts. So very exciting. <laughs> uh, Topher, I would just like to know if you're as excited for the recorder around the bard's neck as you are for that, I don't know, that four-string um, sitar. Yes, hello. <laughs> Not only do I get to, you know, smash with a cool-looking loot, but I can play a little bit of, you know, Zeppelin on my recorder when it's all said and done. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. It to mark my words. <laughs> a bard will be my first, my first fifth character. Mark my words. Okay. To clarify, I did mean that I would physically smash that guitar because it looks so cool. Uh, not, not shred. I didn't mean shred. <laughs> I also want to throw in there that amongst the art that we have seen, there are no um, scantily clad female warriors with like a chainmail cleavage <laughs> window or anything like that yet. <laughs> Uh, and I, I'm pretty uh, pumped for that, too. It looks like th- it feels very immersive. It does not feel like marketing, which I think is is really mm-hmm. cool. And I say this as a guy who makes his living creating materials for marketing. So, um, you know, I, I really love the immersive or I really love the immersive feel that you get from this kind of thing. Well, I think it is marketing and I think that it's oh, marketing, sure. but it's marketing to a bigger audience. Yeah. I th- I think that they woke up somewhere along the way and realized that having the scantily clad bikini chainmail, you know, barbarian warrior chick, why maybe <laughs> iconic to a certain age group is no longer iconic to who they hope is their current and going forward player set. And so we're getting more quote unquote realistic. I understand it's a fantasy game. Please don't please don't send tweets and emails explaining how it can't be realistic. Um <laughs> but more realistic looking uh characters wearing more realistic looking clothing for this world absolutely yeah i i love it and and i think i meant that it does not look like marketing you know it doesn't feel in your face it feels very subtle and the details feel really nice um but yes it certainly is marketing make no mistake (laughs) and that's not a bad thing yeah (laughs) all right guys why don't we get into the nitty gritty okay Moving on, keeping with Boing Boing, let's talk about the Warlock preview itself. So, and just so all the listeners out there know, we're going to link everything we talk about today in the show notes. But 
there are not a lot of mechanics actually within these previews. It looks like it covers sort of the class descriptions and everything up until we get to the mechanics. Uh, we do get a look at like hit dice and stuff on some of them, and we also get a look at their progression table, but we don't necessarily know what things like Mystic Arcanum parentheses eight level or eighth level means. So, uh, you know, so, so that's where we are. Uh, so if you're like, Hey, why aren't they talking about mechanics? That's why. So let's move into the warlock guys. Uh, looks like we got a lot of really cool stuff we're talking about. Um, you know, it's very traditional of what we know from the four E warlock. You make a pact with some otherworldly being, uh, you know, as far as sort of the story behind it goes, uh, they give some really cool examples in here. I was really excited to read about this. What were your guys' thoughts? Ray Fallon, let's start with you. Uh, well, if I can start with mechanics, that was actually the first thing that I really noticed about the Warlock is, uh, as far as spells go, you can't see too much, but you do see the mechanics are different based on the table that they present because mm-hmm. it doesn't give a spell slot per level like it does with the Bard or the Sorcerer. So we know that their magic's going to work Definitely differently. I don't know how differently, uh, but that'll be that'll be interesting to to take a look at. Yeah, you're right. It looks like you have an overall number of spell slots that aren't limited to, you know, you only have so many first level and so many second. And then it looks like the slot level goes up. So Mm -hmm. and it looks like you only get four spell slots at the when all is said and done by 20th level. But But you uh, also get something called invocations. mm, Yes, yes. And it looks like you learn some cantrips as well. And you get four spell slots, but you learn 15 spells. So it's very interesting. You know, it looks like, um, you know, I'm interested to see how these invocations are going to work. And you get some cantrips and that sort of thing. So it it does look cool. It looks really, really cool. What did you think of the story stuff? Uh, The story stuff, you know, I, I think it's fine. It doesn't seem to me like any kind of departure from the warlocks we've already known. Uh, so, you know, it was nice. Uh, it was well written and everything, but it was certainly nothing, uh, that made me think about warlocks differently. It just kind of reaffirmed what I know about them, that they make their packs, uh, that they can either be forced into it, uh, you know, desperately make it or just are power hungry. Uh, so to me, it was kind of more of the same warlock. I feel you. More of the same Warlock, which ain't a bad thing for a lot of people. No, it's not. It's not like Warlock is such a played out concept. Uh, so I don't think it needed any drastic retweaking. Um, but I, at least on my end, I didn't notice anything that stood out as new and exciting. Topher, how do you feel about this Warlock? Well, I think you're right. I think um, Ray's right that it's it's very reminiscent of our older edition Warlocks. But as someone who hasn't played a Warlock, I thought that information was really well done. There mm-hmm. wasn't a wall of text in front of me to me for me to learn quote unquote what a warlock is and about, you know, you know, devil packs and how that impacts and all that kind of stuff. There was enough information to, for me to go, "All right, this sounds kind of cool. I can get my head around this." You know, cool art in the middle of it. I think that the idea that as a as a warlock, if you look at the other ones we have, you know, cantrip spells and then those invocations, that's a cool on top of it the thing i like most about all the previews we've seen so far so is the quick build section it really kind of shows us that they understand that character that players want to sit down at the table and play 
Yeah. And they're giving you a little bit of a blurb that says, hey, when you sit down and you roll this up, yeah, here's all this information. And from all this information about creating and uh, the background and the features and all that kind of stuff, you could gleam all of this. But here's a quick little paragraph that says, you know, make sure you pick your charisma first as your highest, then followed by constitution, you know, choose a character background, you know, very handholding. And I like that a lot. I think it really shows some thought on how players play the game. And, you know, if I wasn't so high on playing the bard, Warlock, maybe I'm a list on the zone enough. Well, you know, one of the things that impressed me too was it immediately starts with, uh, you know, a warlock, and it gives this the description of uh, someone with a pseudo dragon curled on their shoulder, and that is that makes me immediately who doesn't want a pseudo dragon, guys? So, <laughs> and you know who I know really wants a pseudo dragon is Andrew Kane. What did you think about the warlock, sir? Uh, I think, well, and one thing I'm just going to say very quickly about all the previews we've gotten so far is I think they do a good job of whetting your appetite, kind of wanting you to, if you're interested in that class, learn more about it. Uh, They give you just enough so you're like, oh, what what might that mean? Um, I agree that the Warlock isn't a huge departure from what we've seen in the past, but I would say so far, I think of all the, the classes I might choose, the Warlock is the one I might definitively go with next. I love it from a story angle as well as I'm intrigued as to playing it uh, from the mechanics, etc. So I'm I'm really excited. I really love the flavor text we've seen in all of the um, the previews so far. I think they do a uh, they do a good job of really kind of evoking this imagery. And then just to reiterate what Topher said, the quick build quick build really is helpful in you know, helping you jump in if you're just ready to go. Um, I think uh, particularly the previews combined with the um, information about the subclasses from the Mike Merles article we're also going to touch on, I think really gets me excited to actually get my hands on the handbook and see what we're really going to be dealing with. I'm very excited. Well, speak- and I want a pseudo dragon. <laughs> you've, you've had one, Kaner. You've had one. We all know it. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of how you can't wait to get your hands on the player's handbook, why don't we talk about the Escapist article that came out on the 25th of July, a mere four days after we got the Boing Boing article. And that is where we got a sneak peek at the table of contents from the player's handbook and also the sorcerer class. And I was really loving some of the stuff that we saw from the sorcerer. And it was also great to see the table of contents completely laid out to see what we're getting. A lot of it is very reminiscent of what we've already seen in the basic rules. Um, But it looks like we're going to get some great appendices. Uh, You know, it looks like the inspirational reading appendices is back, which is really Mm -hmm. cool. And I wonder if they're going to have updated it from when Gary Gygax did it. And it looks like we also have a full reveal of what races and classes we're going to see. The dwarf, elf, halfling, human, dragonborn, gnome, half-elf, half-orc, and tiefling and in classes we have the barbarian bard cleric druid fighter monk paladin ranger rogue sorcerer warlock and wizard what did you guys think about the table of contents and what did you think about the sorcerer topher let's start with you so i think the table of contents is pretty great it shows us some pretty good information about a you're right you're absolutely right james you know we know we now know the races um and we now know the classes it's obviously a table of contents so what I don't know is the fact that if there's sub, if we're going to get sub races, so we know in the beginner box there was a lightfoot halfling, 
but it just says halfling. Are they two separate things? Obviously, I'm kind of excited to figure that out. I really want to do a Dragonlance thing. Throwing it out there. Um, but I think that – so I, I like table contents, and I, I think it's great. But the, the Saucer preview was really, really cool. Um, and again, I think I've said it on here before. I'm a, I'm a big nerd for layout and iconography and that kind of thing. And if we now compare it to the one we got a couple days beforehand – for the warlock, we now realize that each class has a little icon on the page. The mm. warlock has a little eye with the stuff around it. The the saucer has a teardrop with a little something in it. I think that's kind of cool. It looks like that little oh, branding, yeah. a little theming across there. And Die again, over. thank you very much. Thank you. And again, you know, I mean, I can hear some booming, you know, Ian McKellen kind of voice reading golden eyes flashing a human stitch. You know, that opening <laughs> paragraph is just like Okay, again, it's the third class where I go, after reading that, I want to play this dude. That's cool. <laughs> like, he just sounds like a total badass. Now, it's a, it's a sorcerer, so not really. You shoot him twice and he's dead. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just think, you know, they do a really good job. You know, here's, you know, four longtime players, and we're getting excited about reading fluff text. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great that we're getting pumped about reading this text is obviously a very good sign. And I think you're right. We are very seasoned players who've been playing for years. So it's great to know that like, oh, man, look at this stuff. This is going to be cool. And we've known about the Sorcerer for a long time. It's been a class since third edition, you know, Um, and it's great to be pumped thinking about it again and like, oh, yeah, we could play this. Uh, let me hit up my man Andrew Kane because I know the Sorcerer is one of his favorite classes. Andrew Kane, what do you think about the Sorcerer and the Table of Contents? If you have any comments, uh, just on the Table of Comments, Table of Contents, very quickly, <laughs> I do have some comments. Um, what I'm, I mean, obviously, I see a lot of stuff in the Table of Contents. It gets me excited. The opportunities to explore the characters, the classes. But I'm really intrigued. I know not a lot of pages are dedicated to it, but I really like that within the appendix there are uh, things about gods of the multiverse and the planes of existence. I like that that's in there. Um, I think it gives people the opportunity, again, to just look into those aspects of the world. Um, Those are things that always intrigue me and interest me and that might weave into my character backstory. So I like that it'll all be right there um, in the... uh, as part of the the main uh, player's handbook. Uh, as for the sorcerer, uh, it is my favored class. I think I've played three sorcerers um, in my time. Uh, all awesome and the greatest characters ever created, of course. Um, the thing that I'm most intrigued by, by the write-up, is the idea of um, the sorcerer using wild magic and having effects on them. Um, I think that's a really cool side thing that happens you know oh you did the spell and now your skin's blue or all your hair falls out or something i just find that an intriguing and i think it's interesting because if you are channeling kind of almost naturally this crazy power that might be something that happens talking about realism in our fantasy world um and i'm also intrigued just looking at the kind of the uh the chart you know, again, delving into what some of these things mean. Uh, metamagic at certain levels, what is that as compared to, um, you know, the other things that you have going on? So I think the Sorcerer looks really cool. It's really frustrating because I've played Sorcerers so many times. I'm like, I got to branch out. And then I think to myself, but a Sorcerer would be really cool. So 
life, man. I well, tell you. I'll, I'll make it easy on you, Kaner. I officially call Sorcerer for our first campaign. <laughs> I'm, dibsing it, I'm dibsing out right now while you poke your toe in every other class. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm telling you, Kanan, go with the bard, man. Go with the bard. <laughs> and why is it that you call the sorcerer right now, Ray? You know what? They did a great job uh, in all of the classes that I've read so far of talking about the source of, and I'm thinking of the spellcasters right now, talking about the source of their power. Uh, and as they're doing that, they're saying all these different varieties, like with the warlock, like who you can make a deal with, what your relationship is with the person you swore your oath to. Uh, but nothing got me more excited than Sorcerer and the way they were talking about, uh, you know, the raw magic specifically, what its origin is. Uh, whether you know its origin, uh, if you don't know it, if you come from a lineage that maybe has it, you know, appearing once or twice or every single person in the family has it. Uh, they do a great job, I think, of giving you a lot of cool ideas, but not making you feel at all forced into them. So really just gets your mind wandering uh, to further out scenarios or you know more general but also more specific scenarios uh i don't know I, I think they just did a great job of getting your your excitement and your creative juices pumping while reading this uh so you know the first 10 great ideas i thought of were all sorcerers so that's probably what i and why i want to go with them <laughs> my thoughts on the table of contents are as follows uh no when i was looking through the table of contents the, the thing i was looking at mostly was just counting uh, pages to see who got more time and who got less time. Uh, so Cleric, uh, congratulations for your whopping eight pages. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me that is not there is any magic items at all. Uh, so we see we have you know a decent spread on equipment, but I don't see any magic items. So I don't know if there'll be like a couple mentioned in there under... Uh, weapons or or what the deal will be or if you just have to very quickly get uh what was that crap what was the name of that book that they released with the fourth ed oh uh the the, the magic item compendium the adventures vault or something yes but however that's the uh magic items have traditionally been in the dmg um, oh okay that so, makes sense yeah so you're you'll see them there they've talked about that already they're going to be in the dmg yeah. and they have more art than they've ever had for magic items, so they're going to have a ton of uh, depictions of them as well. Okay. Cool. Again, right. which can be taken or leaving. Yeah, DMG, just cut out that I said that so I don't sound like an idiot to all the fans. No problem. No problem. <laughs> Thanks. I definitely won't leave it in. Don't worry. Good. And cut out me saying to cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To sound like a narcissistic <laughs> ass. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely, I'll definitely do that as well. Don't worry. Thanks. Don't Thanks. do any of it, James. No worries. <laughs> Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick and mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great. I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great. Get this, Noble Knight has all that at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is since you're listening to a podcast about the minutiae of tabletop RPGs. 
People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. And we're back. Okay, guys, let's talk The Bard. So, D20 Monkey had the honor of sharing The Bard with us. And first of all, awesome that he got that honor. Topher, I'm sure you're going to mention more about that as well. And we got to see, as was stated earlier, the badass edition of the Bard. And I think we're going to be pretty pumped to see a lot of people play him. One of the neat mechanical things that we can discern is... Uh, the bard has spell progression similar to a wizard in that they have spell slots from first to ninth level. Um, it seems that they are primarily a spellcaster in addition to having things like bardic inspiration and jack of all trades and all of the things that we've come to expect them to have. Let's talk about the bard. Andrew Kane, we'll start with you. Bard thoughts. Uh, I loved it. I just, I'm really, I'm really intrigued. The Bard, for me, has never been a character, a class that I've been particularly drawn to. But after reading through what they have here, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of being a Bard, Um, (laughs) uh, which is, again, a testament to how they've been doing things. Um, I just like the idea. I think one of the things that I like that they've been driving home is the characters that you're creating in this world are more unique than the average person. And I think it's easy to forget that sometimes. So there's plenty of traveling minstrels and musicians, but a bard is a rare thing and they are by their nature, a, you know, a wanderer an adventurer, et cetera. But I just really think the flavor text was really great. And I think the, um, the ideas that are coming out of it, again, going back to kind of the, the subclasses that seem to be out there Um, the colleges that you can be a part of, or again, a lot of opportunities to take a classic uh, class that we know about and do a lot with it. Yeah, I love that I have heard pretty much all of you say, I don't normally play this class, but (laughs) I think that I will after reading this description. I know we sound like a commercial for Wizards of the Coast, everyone, by the way, but this is just some really exciting stuff and we're very happy to see it. (laughs) Uh, Ray Fallon, thoughts on the Bard? Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that around you, James. I was not excited in reading the bar at this time. Uh, and I was mainly thinking back to, I think it was a Mike Merle's article that we read a few months ago about the bard. And I was interested because it seemed like they were really trying to downplay the musical aspect where like it almost felt to me, and I might've been reading into this too much that that was only going to be one of a few bardic options. Uh, but then when I saw this, I was like, all right, he's got his banjo on his shoulder. Uh, and then reading through, it seems like for every bard, music will have some, uh, you know, some part of their character. For every bard, music will be important to them, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like they, and this, I could be totally reading into this. I feel like they reached out a little bit to see, hey, do you guys want kind of a tweak on the bard where, they don't have to be musical, and they probably got some kind of negative response. They're like, all right, never mind. They will be like they have always been. Uh, and then they just you know, put it back to, to the bard that we know. I see. So you wanted to see some uh, less musical options for the bard and, and maybe see them change it up a bit. Yeah, I was hoping that because that article uh, seemed like they were going away from music, that that meant that they had some really cool new idea for the bard. 
Uh, and to me, it feels like we did not get it. Really? You wanted a character named the bar, name a bard and have it not play music? <laughs> Let's have a fighter that doesn't use swords. Hey, hey, hey. Come on. <laughs> can, we go, can we go back to Shakespeare here? The bard, who is not a musician to my knowledge? But he spoke, but he wrote words that weave stories that enticed and, and changed minds. <laughs> exactly. That's fine. No, the storytelling can stay. Uh, All right. Okay. I see where you're going. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I take back my harsh comment. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and fighters should have swords. I'm just that out there. <laughs> no, no axe fighters for Topher. <laughs> no, give me a two-handed sword. I'm a good guy. <laughs> well, uh, so I hear what you're saying, Ray, is that there are other forms of performance beyond playing an instrument and singing. Right, right. D- uh, Topher, we've already heard a few of your thoughts about the Bard, but bring us home. What did you think? First of all, I want to touch on what you touched on earlier, James. Brian over at D20 Monkey is such a good guy. He is such a huge fan and supporter of D&D and tabletop RPGs. For Wizards of the Coast to to kind of reach out to him and his fan base and say, hey, we know you're a fan of this class and we know you're a fan of the product. Here, we're going to let you preview this. I think that just shows volumes of how they are trying to embrace the community. And I'm so happy for him and I'm so happy for the the community around the d20 monkey people totally totally it's awesome it's awesome that they are reaching out to people like him to do this it's great and did we all notice the icon the little um loot up in the corner there certainly did as soon as you mentioned it Uh, right on right on um so yeah obviously i said a few minutes ago that you know i'm all about playing a bard now and the thing that that i find interesting is you know shows me some proficiencies shows me some stuff that's really great the 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 quick build is really good. It's the third class we've seen now. We're going to look at a fourth one in a second, I assume. Charisma. That no, that there's no race restrictions, mm. or at least or at least you're not telling us a race restriction. Wait, yes. is that a thing? I don't remember that from any edition. Yeah, there was a point, I, I, maybe older editions, where you mm-hmm. couldn't be, you had to be human to play paladins at one point, huh. and I, you know, in fourth you could have been much differently, but. It seems like with they're harkening back to older editions that they would have gone back to, you know, there was a, you know, I could very much see them making warlocks that you had to be a tiefling to be one or something like that. You know, I could right. very much see them doing that. So I, I was very happy. I'm very happy to see that, I should say. Yeah, yeah. It really opens up the, um, the uh, combinations and maybe we can get some really cool stuff going on. But yeah, I think this is great. I think... Um, I think the story element is really good. It talks about, you know, there are different kinds of bards. You're right. They're all musical, but they're different kinds, and they're all coming in there. And uh, I think it's fantastic, you know. I could still have my sword, but I still have my lute, and I can, you know, have my recorder, and I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's interesting that you uh, bring that up because it does feel like there are some things, a lot of things, actually, that harken back to the old school, but it does feel like they're trying to keep the openness of third and fourth edition within here, too, you know, and, and I think that's really nice. They, they really found a great marriage of these two things so far that we've seen in all these previews. And our final class preview of the evening is the paladin which came out moments before we recorded this podcast on tuesday july 29th um and this is on n world 
You guys can check it out. Uh, it's got, of course, the little symbol up there in the corner. It looks like a winged helm. Pretty cool. And right on the cover, speaking of race and class restrictions, there is a half-orc paladin mm-hmm. right there that brings you into the class uh, piece of art. Pretty cool. Uh, you know, we get to see, again, uh, a lot of cool stuff. They have spells. Looks like, you know, they're they're obviously very melee-focused with a lot of what they do, and they have all of these various oath features and lay on hands and that sort of thing. Uh, again, a lot of flavor description. What did you guys think of the Paladin, Ray Fallon? Uh, one thing I liked about him is it says in there that your class features uh, related to the deity don't really appear right away. So I like the idea that he's more of a devout fighter for a while. And then, you know, after a point, he kind of becomes more blessed. I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to be, but that's kind of how I'm taking it at this point. Uh, and I like that concept. Um, trying to think. Oh, one thing. I didn't notice this until I was reading the Paladin. Uh, obviously, they recommend strength be his main thing and then charisma be the second ability that you should uh, have as a high ability score. And it made me think back to almost everything that we have looked at so far is really charisma uh, heavy. I don't know if that's just because of the sample we looked at. Obviously, you know, fighter and rogue are going to be strength and dex. But I wonder if charisma is uh, overly favored so far. Like, I think it's just the things that have been previewed are charisma heavy, you know, and the other classes, it may not be mentioned as much in, uh, although I do think for the rogue and sometimes for the cleric, it is a secondary ability score. Um, so yeah, yeah. Charisma, big time, not just a dump stat anymore. People. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Uh, Topher, what are your thoughts on the paladin? So we're going to go four for four after reading this. I kind of want to play a paddleton. <laughs> um, there's some interesting things if you really read into this. You know, first of all, you're right. We got a half work right off the thing, and it says right there that paladins, almost by definition, the life of a paladin is an adventuring life. A paladin swears to uphold justice and righteousness, and stand with the good things of the world. I don't really think of you know any version of an orc blood anything. It's standing for the goodness of the world, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go with that um, but I also like where it says as guardians against the forces of wickedness paladins are rarely of any evil alignment Yeah, <laughs> rarely meaning if you really want if you have a DM who really doesn't give a crap and just wants to break the game <laughs> then you can have an anti-paladin let's go second edition all over again you know what? It's the last sentence of that article was the one thing that really excited me about the Paladin, where they said, your oath and alignment might be in harmony, or your oath might represent standards of behavior that you have not yet attained. Uh, and I really like that. I just kind of picture like the the dirty cop that's trying so hard to do the right thing, right, but is just right. so mired in evil that he has to kind of lower himself. Uh, and I like that idea translating to a Paladin. It's a good mix of the Paladins we've seen in the past where it's a, a little bit of a, a spellcaster, a lot of a fighter. It's, you know, in the past, I felt like the paladin was almost a cleric light, yeah. especially when they put the war, um, the battle clerics in, in, in the fourth edition. I really kind of, you know, felt like they were really close to each other on many levels. And sure. I think that this kind of, you know, obviously we haven't seen the cleric yet, so we don't know, but it, I think this really kind of sets him apart or, or her apart 
Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a uh, it's a nice blend from a lot of different editions of Paladin, I think, and and you know, and a lot of new stuff as well. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I'm one of those DMs who, if you can come up with a great reason for playing an evil Paladin, let's play an evil Paladin. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm excited to see what people are going to come up with. And the evilest Paladin I know, Andrew Kane, I'm sure has some <laughs> thoughts about that. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, again, uh, Paladin, not something I've ever played. It's not something I've in particular been drawn to uh, because I kind of, and that might be my, my own fault, I kind of viewed them as a little too one note. You know, okay, you're this really good guy who's really upstanding. Um, I'm, I'm going to look for something with a little more that's a little more interesting to me character-wise. But then I'm reading about this in... Um, at, all the things that have already been mentioned, the possibility of maybe not being a good person, a, a good, you know, like a, a good paladin or um, not quite living up to the ideals of your oath. And I also like the opportunities. So um, I kind of like the idea of a vengeful paladin kind of, you know, you're standing for justice, but it's your own distorted view of justice maybe, or in particular, um, the idea of a paladin that's devoted to nature, to the Feywild, anything like that, that is kind of like, in my mind, it's a Greenpeace on roids. Like, you're not going <laughs> to cut down that tree. Try and cut it down. You know what I mean? And then, you know, I just, I think it's an interesting, again, in a lot of these classes, I think a lot of opportunities are to play kind of what you think of as your traditional paladin or your traditional bard or sorcerer or whatever but there's plenty of opportunity and leeway built into what they're describing not just having a dm who's willing to let you do it to really maybe turn some of these things on their head or go outside what normally has been the usual purview of that class and that really excites me because i'm always looking for opportunities to add more kind of character flavor and backstory to the person i'm playing Let's move on, guys, to our final topic for the evening. All right, Mike Merles published a Legends and Lore article on the 28th of July called Keeping It Classy. And he talks essentially about all of the different subclasses that we will see in the player's handbook for each class. Ray, this actually answers your question of why there are a lot more pages for the cleric in the table of contents. And that's because... The cleric has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven subclasses, whereas most other classes have two or three subclasses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, except for the wizard who has every school of magic as a subclass. <laughs> as well. um, you know, again, I really noticed some great things about this article. It does leave it open, and I think you'll probably see in future products, probably within campaign settings and things like that more subclasses be revealed for things. So that's why I think they sort of kept it low for some of these guys. But I noticed that sort of every class, even your fighter and your barbarian and your rogue, have some more magic-infused options, you know? That uh, that there are these, what people are calling gish options, um, and I, I think that's really awesome that we, we get to see like, oh, okay, depending on what your DM wants, he can really dial up or down the magic. You know, you can restrict the arcane trickster and the eldritch knight if you want to, or you can make them, uh, you know, available and for folks to play if you would like. 
uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm pretty pumped reading about this. What are your thoughts? Topher, let's start with you. I want to start with not only am I going to play a, a bard, but I'm going to play a nerd bard, the College of Lore, which focuses <laughs> on knowledge and performances. All right. Right on. I'm going to be the theater nerd of the bard world. Um, I think that you you hit it on the head, James. I think that it it gives information for not only the players but also for the DMs. So I'm going to use the um, I'm going to use the bard. So let's say I am playing a college of of um, lore over a college of valor. You know, a good DM is going to take that information, and if it's if it if it's if it's um, applicable, he's going to put him in a position where. Well, you got to swing that sword, buddy, or the party's going to die. Even though your thing is really there to just, you know, pass on knowledge and entertain, you know, kind of push those characters in ways, or do it the other way. I think the information is there. I think it shows that just because you want to play a warlock, you there are more nuances, and you can kind of cater and make it more like what you want. I think this is um, this is great information. This is really cool. I I hope that it doesn't turn into here is now a subclass, which is now a completely different class. You know, the Beastmaster Ranger, as we know from 4E, is a completely different class than the um, the Hunter Ranger. What are your thoughts, Andrew Kane? James, as you very well know, once I read just this table of contents, uh, well, not table of contents, but this breakdown of the subclasses in conjunction with some of the previews we've already seen and some of the stuff I already know and I like about classes i think i messaged you five different oh i want to make this character no i want to make this character oh this sounds cool i can't wait to learn more about that maybe i'll do that character and then i passed out um because it was all too much um but you know when i'm just looking over it and i've only played the play test in the most recent iteration so i don't know how much of this came and went in varying forms when they were testing different things out but a cleric with the domain tempest um a uh, monk with the way of the shadow um things like that really jumped out at me as really cool opportunities um when they're talking about the warlock pacts and what might come with it the great old one or as i already mentioned the paladin's oath of the ancients um these things really jumped out at me and i just it's got me kind of wishing that I had this player's handbook in my hand so that I could make 17 different characters and then have to burn them all because I could never choose one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that is great, great <laughs> news. Uh, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> and then I'll just be a fighter. <laughs> what do you hey, mean, man. just be a fighter? No, but not even, you're right. That's, yeah. that's me because fighters are the best and we couldn't live without them. Agreed. <laughs> Ray Fallon, your thoughts? Uh, I also think this is great but because you guys are so positive i feel like i have to poo poo something uh and the thing that just seems so cheesy to me was the bardic colleges uh i don't know i really like the idea more of bards being loners and kind of ignoring the tradition of making their own way in the world as adventurers uh, tread lightly as you speak of the bard tread lightly. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most art i had on them. the other one that felt to me like a little bit of a cop-out was the druidic uh circles where it's another class that I feel like I prefer the archetype to be kind of a uh, a loner and not part of a circle. Uh, yeah, I guess I do like the idea of like a cult in the woods. Um, but I feel like most druids would be isolated living amongst animals rather than each other. 
you know, I mentioned that the cleric has seven subclasses and the wizard has a whole bunch as well. Do you guys feel like it's unfair that the cleric and wizard have so many subclasses and the others only have two or three? I don't think so. And I think it goes back to Topher's point where uh, I know Topher, it sounded like you were saying it as kind of a bad thing where Ranger, depending on which subclass you take, it feels like an entirely different class. Uh, uh, I my concern is the fact that is at this early iteration, we want people to play rangers with different skills, not play a different kind of ranger, I guess. Right. Uh, uh, well, it seems like the cleric and wizard will be more where it is clearly a cleric or a wizard and just different flavors of it, whereas ranger may feel like it is an entirely different class. I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but that's what uh, that's what my guess would be as the seven choices versus two or three. Sure. I, I see the clerics in, in, in the those as almost like schools of, of magic, not so much different subclasses, but schools of magic. They're, you're right. I think you're right that you're sure going to play a cleric, you're going to play a wizard, but this is just a different kind of magic you learned. Gotcha. So it seems that amongst the classes with fewer subclasses, those subclasses are probably going to be more distinct, whereas amongst the wizard and cleric, the subclasses are probably a little more similar to one another. Yeah, that's my guess, especially because I'm playing a cleric right now in the playtest. And as far as I remember, it was really only a couple differences between light and life. Where can people find you, Ray Fallon? Ray Fallon, uh, I live in Haddon Township, New Jersey. (laughs) And if they wanted to go online to find you, where might they find you? Oh, I would say just maps.google.com and then look it up. And then just, I don't know, I hang out at the local Wawa or outside 7-Eleven. Or alternatively, Facebook.com slash Gold (laughs) Duck. Yes, you can find Ray there and he will friend request you. He is the ultimate Smallville fan. (laughs) Andrew Kane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cavalier Kane. That's K-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-K-A-N-E. Um, and if you're following me right now, you already know about this podcast because I was live <laughs> tweeting it. <laughs> and Topher, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters at Topher ATL and also on the Google Plus at the same place. And I also do, um, as James uh, said earlier, I do a I run the organized play encounters and soon to be adventures league at Titans uh, Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. So come join us. Yep, it's a great game store, guys. Check it out. And if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intro Casso. That's at J A M E S I N T R O C A S O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can reach out to any of these guys in the ways they have expressed you may reach out to them. (laughs) And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to Andrew, Ray, and Topher. Thanks, James. Oh, yes. Thanks, James. Oh. Ray, (laughs) thank you. Thank you.
Many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.